from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends in life and in death, we belong to God. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Good morning, my name is Bobby Candler. I'm currently serving as a trustee elder on the session here at First Press. Please join me in our call to worship. God is gracious to us and blesses us. Let all the people praise the Lord. God brings saving power to the nations. Let all nations praise the Lord. God judges with equity and guides the nations upon the earth. Let us worship the Lord, our God, together. Hello, my name is Gavin A, and today I will be reading you Psalm 67. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Psalm 67, which can be found on page 500 in the Old Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Psalm 67. The nations called to praise God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Salah, that your word may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be clad and sing for joy, for you let the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Salah, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gavin. Our second reading is from the 16th chapter of Acts. And it's actually going to be a couple more verses than are printed in your bulletin. Instead of verse 9, I'll start at verse 6, but I'll try to read faster. Here again, God's word. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them and passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. 
there stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
amen for that little flourish at the end. Thank you, Jens. Please be seated. And let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts please you, glorify you, and serve you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Well, I have to confess that when I read this episode from Acts, that's today's text, it just didn't grab me. It's kind of a choppy text. It's full of faraway, maybe unfamiliar names of places. And it's a little hard to follow what's happening. Maybe not so immediately clear to us what this text could say to the church today. But the book of Acts is like that. It takes us into the journeys of some of the earliest disciples and shows us just how hard it was for the early church to get going. It shows us how hard it was for some disciples to transition from walking with Christ on earth to being carriers of the gospel. It shows us that even the most zealous convert, Paul, got stuck and blocked and redirected as he tried to walk a path for God. But the book of Acts isn't just a report about these things, these experiences of the disciples. It has a purpose. Will Willimon puts it this way, Acts has as its purpose the formation and equipment of new disciples. Jesus didn't come bringing an interesting philosophy of life. He came calling people to a new way of living and dying. At the beginning of our story for today, Paul and two other disciples with him, Timothy and Silas, they're trying to live into that call. They're chomping at the bit to go and share the good news, to tell the world about this new way of living. They're planning to go to Asia, but did you hear what happened? They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. So they try to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus does not permit them. Well, that's unexpected. Our scriptures are full of stories where God is calling somebody who's reluctant to answer, like Abraham, who thinks he's too old, or Moses, who has a speech impediment, or Samuel, who thinks he's too young, or our old pal Jonah, who doesn't want to deal with the messiness of preaching good news to sinners. But this is Paul. Paul, who used to persecute Christians but converted. Paul, who's all in, ready and willing to go do God's work. Paul has done the discernment. He thinks he knows he's supposed to go. He's made preparations. He's announced his itinerary. Paul's not a reluctant disciple. He's a volunteer, ready to take God's word to new places. And yet, he finds that the path he has discerned is blocked. Not by any earthly logistic or some kind of inconvenience, but actually forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So Paul and his companions land in Troas, but they seem not to know what they're supposed to do there until Paul has a vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. They interpret it as a call probably as the guiding of the Spirit, telling them to proclaim the good news in Macedonia. 
So they jump up, they go immediately, they travel for two days to Philippi, a city of Macedonia. Their journey is being led by the Spirit, but not in the ways we expect. We just don't expect the Spirit to guide us by blocking our way or forbidding us to go where we think we've been called. We don't expect to follow faithfully, which is hard enough, only to land in a place and not know what we're supposed to do there. In fact, it's disorienting to have doors closed to us, isn't it? It might even make us doubt that we were called in the first place. We see as the story unfolds that with those closed doors, the Spirit was redirecting Paul to a place where the good news of grace was needed. We see that God knew where Paul needed to go so that God's word could take root in the hearts of new disciples. In Philippi, Paul participates in God's mission. He demonstrates that new way of living that is our call. Instead of going to the places of power or even to the temple, he goes to the river outside the city gates. Instead of spending time with city officials or religious leaders or powerful people, he prays with a group of women. Unnamed women, people of no social standing, they hear God's word through Paul. And one of them, Lydia, has had her heart opened by the Lord so that she listens eagerly. Lydia becomes a most unexpected disciple, first because she's a woman, second because she's a successful businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a dealer in purple cloth, and third because she's head of her own household, and she and all of them are baptized. At the end of the story, the text tells us that Lydia prevails upon Paul and his friends to come to her home and to stay with her. The word that gets translated here as prevailed upon only appears one other time in the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel. It's when two disciples on the Emmaus Road with the risen Christ urge him, prevail upon him, to stay with them that night. Just as those disciples are changed by their encounter with the risen Lord, Lydia is changed by her encounter with the gospel good news. And she responds. She immediately acts out her faith and extends hospitality to Paul and his companions. This is a full circle moment for this story. The one whose heart was opened by the Lord to hear the good news becomes the giver of hospitality and God's love. Her hospitality breaks all kinds of barriers, social and cultural. It demonstrates that same new way of living, a way that is radically welcoming of all people. By the end of the scene, Paul's halting, stumbling, stop-start journey, blocked and redirected by the Spirit, has allowed him to be a vessel for God's call on Lydia's life. The path God needed for Paul to walk has led to the fellowship of new sisters and brothers in Christ. It's surely good news, isn't it, to think that God knows where we need to go 
and even that God will direct and redirect our paths to get us there. But I won't pretend that that makes discipleship easy. It's still discouraging to set out in a direction we think is right only to be rerouted. You have only to try to use Siri to tell you where to go to have that experience. It's hard to put our passions on the line and then have doors closed in front of us. It's hard to wait for clarity from God when we can't see what we're supposed to do next. It is hard to answer a call, the call to be a disciple, when we know up front that the way will not always be clear, that sometimes it might even be blocked. I had the chance not long ago to reconnect with a friend from seminary. We were very friendly when we were in school, but we hadn't really kept in touch. And I didn't know where she lived or what she was up to. When I asked those things, she told me that after seminary, she took a call and went to serve a church and that as much as she wanted it to be, it just wasn't the right thing. She had followed God's call all the way to seminary she had prayerfully discerned, she had prepared and walked the path she thought God was laying out in front of her, only to find that it wasn't where she was supposed to be. She left the ministry, at least as a professional, and became a teacher, a middle school teacher, no less, God bless her. And she was recently named Teacher of the Year. As I caught up with her, it was obvious from her joy that she's in a position now to be just what God needs for her to be. Her education, her discernment, her preparation, they were not wasted. They were part of her service to God, even if they led to a time when God redirected her life. So it was for Paul on his journey as a disciple, and I bet that experience resonates with us too. We want to be eager disciples and sharers of the good news, but the path's not always clear. We're sometimes stymied. We sometimes wonder whether we misinterpreted God's call. But here's some more good news. Answering God's call does not mean that we have to know where it will lead. In other words, being faithful disciples does not mean that we're suddenly in charge of the paths of our lives or that we will suddenly know all that is to come. The opposite, really. Responding to God's call means just that. Responding. Being willing to follow and to share the good news as we go. The early church took hold because of God's work in and through even the most stumbling journey of even the most stumbling disciple. Lydia's heart was opened not because Paul was such an amazing preacher, but because the Lord opened her heart and used Paul to speak grace to her. My seminary friend, she didn't abandon one career because it was a mistake. She answered the call of God as best as she knew it at different moments in her life. And with the benefit of hindsight, maybe you've had this experience, she can see how one turn prepared her for the next and left her in a place where she can embody God's love. In just a few minutes, 
We're going to make commitments of discipleship as we ordain and install a new class of elders. We will not commit to knowing what is in store. We will not say that we know how God might use our lives or where God might need for us to go. But we will promise to seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the Church. We will promise to love our neighbor as we walk whatever path the future might hold. In those times in my life, and they're frequent, when I'm trying to respond to God's call, when I really do trust that God knows the path, but I'm discouraged because I can't see what it is. I pray a prayer of Thomas Merton's from Thoughts in Solitude. Maybe some of you have heard it before. I'm going to close with this prayer now, and I ask you to pray with me. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire and all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire, and I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.
now from this place ready to follow, to seek after Jesus Christ and open to participating in God's mission. Go in confidence that God needs you and will send you to the right place. As you go, may the peace of peace of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you today and always. Amen.